Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Now, you might remember John Perry last week brought to us a character of God, uh, and he was showing us that God is just. He's showing us that God loves justice, doesn't he? And that's what John Perry was saying to us. Uh, and there's good news in that. It's good news that God won't let the guilty go free. But there's bad news in this, isn't it? And the bad news is for us. If God isn't going to let the guilty go free, well, that's not great news for what John Perry brought to us last week. And you might remember, um, if we skip ahead here, he, he came to... No, that's not it. That is not it. Look at this. Right. Let's uh, rely on the old-fashioned version. Let's open up our Bibles uh, into Exodus. You might, we've been in Exodus, actually, three weeks in a row. Exodus 34. Let's turn there now. Uh, looking at verse 5, you might recall John Perry kind of spoke from his... Rodri Darcy, he spoke from this as well. Exodus 34. Uh, looking at verse 5. We're just going to read the, uh, the few verses here. Uh, it shows us this description of our God. And then it says this. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, him being Moses. And this is what the Lord proclaimed. And proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. You see that, didn't we? We saw that was the, the crux of last week. He does not let the guilty go unpunished. So that's good news, but it's also bad news. But this morning, we're looking at another characteristic of God. God is just. God is a God of justice. He loves justice. Justice must be done. But the Bible also tells us that he is a God of grace. You see that he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So we see it there, isn't it? God being gracious is one of God's characteristics. It's his name. If we say, what is the Lord's name? What does it mean? Part of it is gracious. And we've been looking at other characteristics of God. We've been looking at how he is compassionate. It's part of his name. How he is loving. It's part of his name. Just as part of his name. And gracious along with those other attributes, not in isolation, along with, is part of God's name. But how do we explain grace, living in grace? How do we explain that? I mean, we know it in the church, don't we? We know what grace means. We kind of know what it means. But how do we explain it? Well, forgive me, let's go on a a little tangent. Um, The radio, that's a good tangent, isn't it? No, when we get in the car with someone, and we, we find out what their default radio station is. It can tell a lot about the person. 
So we've got some, have we got any youngsters? No, not really, we haven't really got many youngsters. We're gonna to have to rely on Paul Kennedy. Paul's just got a car. If you get in the, in the car with Paul and his new Hyundai, I-10, pretty class wheels, you get in the car with him, you're probably gonna get some banging tunes from Radio One, because he's a hip, cool kind of guy, is Paul. And you're gonna get in the car, you're gonna just hear noise, the latest hip hop, grime artist, whatever it might be. And then if you get in the car with, I don't know, some of the 30-year-olds in this church, maybe an Emir or a Sammy, this is what you're probably going to listen to. It's probably a bit of radio too. You know, you make that step sometimes in your late 20s, early 30s, where radio one is just noise. So you try and, you try and go to a radio station, which is more your music, isn't it? Not that young stuff that's just noise. You want more relatable music. Maybe you listen to Heart FM or Nation Radio. That's what you're going to kind of shift to. And then you get a bit older again, no offence, and you become a bit boring. And you know who you are, and you start listening to talk radio. How boring is that? I don't know, Five Live, maybe you're listening to talk sport. Well, I've, I've got a confession this morning. You know, I'm only 31. I say I'm 30 to most people. I've, I don't listen to Radio 1. I don't listen to Radio 2. I don't listen to Five Live or talk sport. I have made the jump to Radio 4. I'm on the Radio 4, that's what I'm on. I, I don't listen to the Arches. I've got, a, I've got a black line. I will not cross that line. But I listen to Radio 4 now. It gives you some really interesting programs. And um, I was listening to a really interesting program a couple of weeks ago. I was driving home on a Friday night. And I had this bit on technology and robotics. And look, it's not going to come as any surprise to you that I haven't got a clue about robotics or technology. I don't even know how to use this. I can't even put a PowerPoint together, but I was listening to this program and I was following it to some extent. And it was telling me about robotics and how it's advanced over the years. Um, and it was showing us that actually there's certain things that robots can easily do. We can program robots to do some really simple stuff. So, and it, it works on this line. This is what this expert, this robotic engineer, scientist, thingy-majee, whatever you want to call him, was saying. Some things are really easy to get a robot to do. So if humans can clearly and concisely explain how to do something, a robot is going to smash it. So make a cup of tea. Robots have been smashing that for years, haven't they? We've got robots that make us coffee in the morning. Clinton's using our robots. Uh, anything like that, anything you can put into a clear, concise set of rules, the robot is going to be fine with that. What becomes a difficult concept for a robot is anything as humans that we find difficult to explain. Anything that you think of that you can't explain concisely and clearly and put into a clear set of rules, robots find that difficult. So they've had to go in, I don't understand this, but they go into artificial intelligence and they're having to find other ways for robots to be able to undertake these tasks. Now, I've got a, a smartphone, a popular Apple product, uh, and part of the gimmick is facial recognition. So the phone, when it sees my face, I know I'm uploading so much data to Apple that I shouldn't be, shouldn't I? Uh, they've got my face now, uh, and when I look at my phone, theoretically, it unlocks. But what I've learned is actually, Apple haven't got a clue what I look like, and every time I look at my phone, it's a 50-50 chance that my phone is gonna unlock. It doesn't work very well, it's not, it's not amazing. And part of that reason is humans we recognize people, don't we? But why do we recognize people? If you had to put that into a clear, concise set of rules, why? We, we can't really, can we? It's hard to explain. We just recognize people. If Sammy shaved his beard off and got rid of all his hair, 
who'd still recognize him, probably because of these little things that stick out. But we recognize people. If we haven't seen someone for 20 years, we, we see him and we think, oh, I know you. I know you. It's amazing that like, humans can do this, but we cannot clearly explain how we do it. And that's a little bit like some of the things we've been doing over the last month or so, isn't it? Some of those characteristics of God are quite simple to grasp. Obviously, we want to look into the Bible. We want to see truth. We want to explain it clearly. But we can kind of understand what they mean. When we say God is compassionate, we have an understanding of what that means. We know what compassionate means, don't we? You know, when we say God is forever, it doesn't take a genius to work out. That means forever. You know, when we say God is relational, we have an idea of what relational means. But when we say God is gracious, it's a weird word, isn't it? We don't use it very much in day-to-day language. We use it in the church loads. But I've been asking friends outside the church, do they know what it means? They haven't got a clue. We take for granted what this word means. And as Christians, this word, we're not very good at explaining it. We're great about talking about it. We kind of recognize it when we see it. But what does it mean to be gracious? It's a bit like if we had to program a robot to be gracious, we wouldn't have a clue, would we? Where would we start? So we apply that logic today. How do we describe grace? How are we going to put it into a clear, concise understanding? So we leave here this morning knowing more about God's character of being gracious. But there is a little bit of this word used in today's society. I did a bit of language work, used my brain. I found out that this word actually has uh, examples of it in English language that we use today. So if you go out for a nice meal, we go to a restaurant, had good service, you might leave a tip. Or if you're posh, you might say, I'm leaving a gratuity. It's a word linked in this grace. We, we are happy with the service, so we leave a gratuity. You know, if you uh, are shown kindness by someone, you feel gratitude. If you hear good news, we can be gratified. You know, my day job, I'm a lawyer. I know, it's hard to believe. I'm a lawyer. And when uh, I, I deal in contracts, and when the contract comes to the end, and you still want to keep using that service, but you haven't got your contract in place, you haven't been paying it, some nice company might give you a grace period. Maybe a month where they'll say, do you know what? As we get the paperwork sorted out, you can have a month for free on us. Isn't that nice? And we see the negative use of the word as well, don't we? When uh, you know, it's politician season, we'll have a new prime minister before too long. But we, uh, we relate to politicians as people being involved in scandals. You might call it a fall from grace. Maybe we'll have a fall from grace in the next couple of weeks. You never know. Listen to Radio 4, you'll find out. <laughs> so when we think of this word grace then, in the Christian circles, we're used to using this word, isn't it? We have churches named after grace, denominations named after grace. In this church, we like to talk about evidences of grace. You know, before you have your Sunday lunch today, you might say grace. We're used to this word, but what does it really mean? And obviously, Exodus tells us that gracious is part of God's name, is part of who he is, who he is made up of. And we have that famous, I was hoping Roger was going to sing it today, but he didn't. I should have told him. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. We sing that, don't we? 
It's in the Exodus. It's in the Psalms. It's in the prophets, Jeremiah, Amos. They, they cry out this truth about God that he is gracious. But when we get down to it, what does it mean? Well, I've looked at the scholars. I've looked in the dictionaries. I've looked at these profound definitions of what gracious means. And do you know what? If you look in those definitions, we're really bad in the church of doing this, isn't it? We take a complicated word that we don't really know what it means. And what we do is we get really clever and we replace it with a new word, which is equally complicated and no one knows what it means. But this morning, I've, got, I've used my brain. I've come up with a really sophisticated definition of grace. And this is it. Kindness. I was expecting more of a response than that. Kindness. <laughs> Gracious is basically kindness, isn't it? But it's more than that. It's kindness when it doesn't really need to be shown. Kindness shown when it doesn't need to be shown. I think this is a helpful understanding of what it means for God to be gracious. And God shows this kindness where it doesn't need to be shown throughout the Bible. If we look, we actually see it so clearly. Take Genesis. Take the creation. God didn't need to create humans, but he did. And he didn't just create humans. He didn't just create man and woman. He created man and woman to rule over the earth with him. That's a kindness, isn't it, when it doesn't need to be shown. The God of the universe invites humans to partake in dominion of the earth, to get their trowels out and to do a bit of gardening, to help out. It's kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. We see kindness in the, the story with Abraham. You know, who is Abraham? He's no one special. He's from a family that isn't up to much. But God, with Abraham, decides he's going to have a partnership. He's going to partner with Abraham. Why is he going to partner with Abraham? We have no idea why God chooses Abraham. He just chooses him. It's kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. And what does Abraham bring into this partnership? Well, nothing. God is going to bless the world. He's going to make himself known through this partnership with Abraham. And who's doing all the work? It's God. It's kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. We see it in that verse in Exodus 34. Don't we? If you think about the Exodus story, what is it? It's about God remembering his people. They're in slavery, back-breaking work. I don't know. Were they building the pyramids? I, I don't know. But they were working hard. They were enslaved. And God remembers his people. God remembers them. He frees them from slavery, and they've been freed from slavery, so what would you expect them to do? You would expect them to show gratitude, but what do they actually do? Before the ink is dry on the tablets or the chisel marks are finished and you, the dust is gone on the Ten Commandments, they're already building golden idols. Grace has been shown by God, and this is their response. It's like us. Imagine getting married. And you're cheating on your wife on the wedding night before the ink is even dry on the wedding license. That's what the people in the Exodus were doing. But God shows kindness. He should have forgotten about them. He could have. He should have. But he remembers that they're his people. He shows kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. And if we think, you know, we went through, um, went through this. We talk about the tabernacle and the temple. Isn't that kindness when it doesn't need to be shown? The fact that God comes and dwells with his people. He gives a bit of himself to the, these people. And it's not an idyllic camping holiday, if there is such a thing as an idyllic camping holiday. God sets up camp with his people. It's not comfortable. 
It's not a comfortable experience for God. He has to dwell with his people who are in constant rebellion against him. Yet in his grace, he dwells with them. He shows them kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. So we can see very clearly in the Bible story as it comes together that God's character is gracious and he is constantly demonstrating this throughout history. And as as we speak of grace, you might expect me to talk about Jesus, and we will. We're going to come to Jesus now. This word grace, when you think of grace in the church, we think instantly of Jesus. Jesus showing grace to us. Now, if I was to ask you this question, I wonder how you would respond. If I asked you, how many times do you think the word grace is mentioned in the gospel accounts of Jesus? So that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, your answer would depend on the translation you're using. But it's either four or five times. The NIV has ruined me. It sounds better when you say four. There is one reference to it in the NIV in Luke when it talks about Jesus coming in grace as a, as a baby. But there's only four references in a lot of translations of this word grace in all of the gospel accounts. There's nothing in Matthew. There's nothing in Mark. There's nothing in Luke, unless you read in the NIV. And there's only four references in John. The four references in John come in just three verses at the very beginning in the prologue before Jesus has even really stepped on the earth. So we have this word grace that we connect to Jesus so strongly, but Jesus never used the word. He never used the word gracious or grace to describe himself. Well, let's see if we got the verses here. John chapter 1, if you want to turn there. John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at it from verse 14. Famous verses. And this is what John writes about grace. He says this, the word, that's Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. John, this is John the Baptist now, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's confusing, but the good news is, hasn't really got much to do with today. In verse 16, we pick it up again. Out of his fullness, out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And do you see that? Jesus is the embodiment of grace. Literally the embodiment of grace. So this word that we find so hard to explain, this word that we kind of can't really put into words. Well, Jesus didn't put it into words. Jesus did it by his actions. We see that actually Jesus is the living embodiment of what it means to be gracious. I mean, look at this verse. Uh, 1 verse 14, we literally see, it's, it's like the words are becoming a picture. Jesus literally puts on flesh. Eugene Patterson describes that as Jesus... Uh, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. 
He moved into the neighborhood. I love it. You can imagine it, can you? That Jesus is literally putting on the skin. He's putting on the skin and the flesh. He's becoming like us. And he's stepping into the neighborhood. He's coming into Ammonford. And what is he bringing with him? He's bringing the fullness of grace and truth. What a picture. He's coming down to us. Isn't that kindness when it doesn't need to be shown? Why would God, from the comfort of heaven, put on flesh, fullness of flesh, to come and dwell with his people and the people who don't know him? Why would he do that? It's kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. And this is how God is going to make wrongness rightness. He's going to put on flesh to bring us saving grace. And as I say, Jesus doesn't necessarily use this word grace, but we see it so clearly when we look at Jesus. If you go through John's gospel, you will see evidence of evidence after evidence of this grace. Let's look at two examples. If we go on in John's story, we will find the woman at the well. What do we know about the woman at the well? Well, we know she's collecting water in the midday sun, the hottest part of the day. Why? Why would you collect water at the hottest time of the, of the day? Well, it's because you're trying to avoid everyone else. No one else will be seen with her. No one else wants anything to do with her. So she's having to collect her water in the midday sun. But there is someone who will meet with her. There is someone who will have something to do with her, and that's Jesus. And Jesus says, do you know, I know everything about you. I know you've had four husbands. I know you've got a fifth man now, and you're paying the rent with sex. You're paying the rent for your house with your body. Jesus knows this. Jesus doesn't try to excuse the way she's, she's living. But Jesus has compassion. He shows grace. He shows kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. None of us would do that, would we? We'd, we'd be like the other people in the village, shunning her. But Jesus shows kindness where it doesn't need to be shown. And what does the woman do? Does the woman go away sad? No. Jesus knows everything about her. He knows everything. All of her shame. Yet she runs off evangelizing, telling everyone about how great it is about this man who knows everything that we've ever done. I'm not sure I'd be running off as excited as that. We see the feeding of the 5,000, don't we? Because what if Jesus is coming in grace and truth? So he's preaching this amazing sermon. And everyone is listening. Everyone is enticed. You know, very different to this sermon. And he is preaching the truth. And then he realizes that he'd been listening. And it's hot. And he cares about their physical need. He thinks about their hunger. Well, you'd think there's too many for him to feed. But no, he feeds them. He pulls off a miraculous feat. And he feeds the 5,000. He shows kindness don't expect me to show you that kindness. It's not going to happen, but Jesus will show you this kindness. He shows us kindness when it doesn't need to be given. And ultimately, what is Jesus going to be doing? Jesus is going to the cross to show us ultimate kindness, to die on a cross for his enemies, to pray for forgiveness as he dies for those who put him up there. That is the kindness that Jesus is going to show where it doesn't need to be shown. And then do you see back in John, he's given grace after grace. He is a well of unending grace. You see the Lord, do you see that in John 1? If we look back, it says, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. Or some translations say grace upon grace. Grace in place of grace, grace upon grace already given. What is that grace already given? The law. 
God has already given us so much grace. He has shown us how we can live in a right community with each other, in a right community with God. He's shown us how to do that. But unfortunately, we don't live up to that standard. We cannot keep it. The law just shows us up. It just shows us how badly we relate to each other and how badly we relate to God. So God has given us that grace. He's shown us the right way of living. That is grace, kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. But now Jesus, we see that Jesus is coming in grace. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. So Jesus puts on flesh. He moves into the neighborhood. He brings grace. We know he's going to the cross. So what? It's nice, isn't it? It gives you a warm feeling to sit here on a Sunday morning and remember that Jesus is kind. God is kind. Well, hopefully we know that about God. And yes, it is good to kind of look at these passages and really think, how does the Bible all fit together? Does it really show God is kind throughout the Bible? Yes, it does. But so what? Why is it so important? Well, remember what John Perry was saying, isn't it? God is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. The thing that he has to do, the only thing he has to do is be just. He's a God of justice. And why is it bad news for us? But John Perry told us about how we fall short, how we can't rightly connect with each other, we can't rightly connect with God, and he cannot allow the guilty to go free. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, you're not that bad. You're not that bad. But the problem is this, isn't it? Jesus shows us up. We think about the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus says, he he unravels the law. He unpicks it. It makes it even worse for us, doesn't he? He says, do not murder. And most of us in this room, I should hope most of us in this room are feeling quite proud at the moment, thinking, tick, haven't done that one. Haven't committed murder. I'm doing all right. But Jesus unpicks it, doesn't he? He says, look, if you treat someone with disrespect, if you nurse resentment against them, if you hate them in your heart, you've as good as murdered them. You haven't loved them. So by doing that, we have violated God's moral ideal of living. He unpicks it, doesn't he? He unpicks all of them. And we realize, actually, we don't live up to God's moral standard. But let's put it this way. Imagine if I recorded you. Be a bit creepy, but imagine if I recorded you. And I wasn't recording everything you did. I wasn't recording all the bad things you did. All I recorded was the standard you hold other people up to. Imagine that. Imagine if I recorded the way you expected people to relate to you. All the times you moaned about so-and-so. I won't mention any names. It's probably me. But imagine all those times you've really expected someone else to treat you with respect, to treat you with goodness, those standards you expect other people to live by. And we played it. We wouldn't be able to even stand by our own standards, not alone God's. We miss the mark so much, don't we? And we come back to that idea that God is just. The only obligation he has here is to be just. But he somehow, miraculously, graciously maintains justice on the one hand, which is good news. He maintains that justice. But he manages to show kindness at the same time. How? How does he do that? Well, the Bible gives us this amazing verse. This is Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 21. This is what Jesus is going to do. 
you want to turn, Romans 3, 21. This is what it says. Paul writing now about righteousness. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, or we might put that, the rightness of God, God's validation, God's uh, righteousness, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, so God's right living, is given to us, to all of us, is given to us, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. That's good. There's no racial barriers to Jesus. There's no human-made barriers to Jesus. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember that Sermon on Mount? We've all failed God's moral standard. We've all failed our own moral standard. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely. Isn't that, that's a nice word, isn't it? What does that mean? Justified freely. Well, it's more than pardon. And it's more than just being a morally distinct person. We'll come on to what it means to be justified freely in a minute. Justified freely by his grace. His grace, kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. There's another fancy word, isn't it? So Jesus is effectively paying the cost. Jesus is paying the cost of us being guilty. A sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or in his patience, he has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. And then this is what we were saying at the beginning. So as to be just, to uphold justice, so to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. So he is bringing justice, but he is showing kindness by giving us free justification. Isn't that incredible? We could spend hours unpacking this. I mean, people have gone through Romans and they've taken years and years to preach through it. Well, we haven't got years. We've got minutes. I've got seven really quick sound bites that I want us to pick out from here. Seven really quick ones. Number one, justification. Our justification is free. It's free. Why is it free? Because God is showing kindness when it doesn't need to be shown. It's free. That's the first thing we need to know about God's justification. Number two, justification gives us purpose. See, righteousness can be understood like this. It, you know, it's not, it's not a word we use a lot in our society. Righteousness, though, is it's like validation. It's like, what is our justification for being here? What is our validation? What is it that is the reason for us being here? Well, I've, I heard a really helpful account from a guy who's not a Christian. Uh, and he was saying this. 
the older he gets, the more he finds he is looking to justify his existence. And the older he gets, he realizes he cannot justify his existence. Why? Because if the standard, if our reason for being here is just to be good people, he said that he knows he could and should be better by his own standards. That's a guy who's not even a Christian. What insight. And it comes back to our position, doesn't it? We don't meet God's ideal standard. We don't meet our own ideal standard. But God gives us freely, through his grace, validation. That's what it means to be justified. Before him, we now have purpose. We have been freely justified by his grace. And it's not just forgiveness, is it? That's not just what justification is. That's what we think of it sometimes. It's just forgiveness of sins, just God excusing the bad things we do. But no, justification is being made right. We can't make ourselves right. So Jesus gets on the cross. He takes the punishment for our guilt, for the fact we don't live up to our own standards. That's what it means to be justified. Not just let off the hook, but so much more. That brings us into point number three. Justification is more than forgiveness. You see, forgiveness is this, isn't it? Forgiveness is, off you go. I paid the price, off you go. That's forgiveness. And that's part of what justification is. But this is what justification fully is. It's not, off you go, you're forgiven. It's, come on in. Come on in, you are forgiven. Come in to God's house. Come into the presence of God. It's not a, a debt paid only. It's access to the living God. God wants to be in a relationship. God wants to know us. He wants us to know him. That's what it means to be justified. And it's not just how we first come to God. It's how we keep going with God. We think somehow that grace gets us through the door and then hard work gets us the rest of the way. No, this is it. This is what it means. This is the good news of what it means to be a Christian, that you are invited to be with God. Point number four, this is a whistle stop, I I have to apologize. Justification is secure. But look at it, justification, where does it come from? It comes from Jesus. You haven't worked hard for this. You haven't done anything for this. You can't mess it up then. Isn't that good? You can't mess this up. You can't leave church this morning and lose this. You can't leave church today and wreck the work that Jesus has done. It's secure. And as Rodri Darcy has helpfully brought to us a couple of weeks ago, God is forever. So if God is going to be gracious, if God is going to justify us freely, he's doing that forever. He's not doing it partially. He is completely justifying. Point number five, justification is all God's work. And this is where I think in the church we make our mistake. We say, in, we use all this nice language, don't we? We say things like, I've got to surrender to Jesus, which is right. We say, I've got to commit my life to the Lord, which is right. But this is effectively what we're saying if we don't get grace right. We're saying that I need to clean up my heart a little bit first. Before I come to Jesus, I've got to clean up my heart uh, just a little bit. I make myself a little bit righteous, but then Jesus makes me fully righteous. But that's not the gospel. That's what we cling on to. That's the moral performance narrative. That's us relying on how we live. But for some reason, we hate grace. 
We want to contribute to it. It's probably pride, isn't it? Pride in us. But grace is all Jesus' work. When we say to Jesus, I need to clean myself up a little bit first, it's like turning up to a natural disaster, devastation everywhere, and I've got my dustpan and brush. It's useless. Justification is all the work of God. Romans 4, 5 says this, God justifies the ungodly. Not the partial godly, not those who've made themselves a little bit godly, the ungodly. Jesus died for his enemies. Justification is all God's work. Number six, justification doesn't lead to easy believism. I can see some of you scribbling your notes. You're trying to furiously keep up. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Justification doesn't lead to easy believism. Now, this is what people in the church say. If you preach grace, you're going to preach an excuse for people to keep sinning. And people said that to Paul. They said, Paul, you can't preach about grace. Because if you do, people haven't got a reason not to sin. We need to keep people from sinning. Well, what we're saying there, isn't it, is we need to give people fear and then they won't sin. But that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't say, look, guys, I've given you justification and if you're not going to comply, if you're not going to get on board with this right living, get off. There's no place for you. It's not what Jesus says, is it? But as we see Jesus, as we see this grace, this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible effectively says, as we see Jesus, as we see grace, we are freed from the bondage of that sin. We become Christ's. We belong to Jesus. And as we belong to Jesus then, as we see more of Jesus, why would I want to sin? It's not that I'm fearful that if I sin, God won't love me. No, my, my salvation, my justification is secure. But as I see more of that, that's going to make me want to live right, isn't it? That's going to make me want to live the way God wants me to live. Not fear, not this fear that I'm going to somehow lose it. It doesn't lead to easy believism at all. It, it leads to right believism. And finally, justification is worth boasting in. You know, Paul writes about this. In, in Ephesians, you know, we see at the end of this chapter about boasting. In Ephesians, you have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not your own works, and no one will boast. You can't boast in self, but what can you boast in? Jesus. You can boast in Jesus. He has done it fully for us. And you might say, yes, okay, but I've got to take sin seriously, and we need to take sin seriously. But this is the problem, isn't it? The Pharisees took sin seriously. They took sin really seriously. But they boasted in themselves. We need to take sin seriously and boast in Jesus Christ. Boast fully in the work of Jesus Christ. Well, we're coming to an end now. But if we grasp grace shown to us by Jesus, it will change how we relate to God. If we grasp the grace given to us through Jesus, it will change how we relate to each other in the church and outside. If we grasp the grace given to us by Jesus Christ, it will change how we approach life, wouldn't it? We would want to live rightly. We would want to live the way God wants us to live. If we grasp the grace shown to us by Jesus Christ, we will become compassionate and kind. If we grasp the grace shown to us by Jesus, it will change absolutely everything in our life. And it's the only thing that's going to change everything in our life. It's the kindness that Jesus shows to us when it doesn't need to be shown. And it's unique to Jesus. Nowhere else can you find this grace. Nowhere else can you find kindness like this. It's unique to Jesus. 
and it's offered to us freely to anyone and to all of us who will believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you show us kindness where it, it doesn't belong. We don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn this from you, Lord. But Father, you are a gracious God. You are slow to anger, rich in love. And on the cross, we see that Jesus has made us heirs with him. As we take on his righteousness, as we take on his right living, we have access to you. And Lord, we are so thankful for that. Lord, we pray we would see more of that. And as we leave this morning, we pray we would see more of this grace, that we would be changed inside, that we would want to shout out for joy about this grace, tell other people about this grace, change the way we approach life because of this grace. And we thank you that you give us the deposit in your Holy Spirit that will build up our hearts in this grace as we hear this truth. And as we fail, Lord, we, we do pray that you would forgive us, but we know we can come to you in grace, in this kindness, and know that we are secure. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for Jesus. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amforchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.